On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, ever wonder what it's like to face a 350-pound lineman who wants to smash you into the ground? I know what that feels like. Scott Mitchell here, and I want to tell you about my podcast, Helmets Off, where I talk about the pressures of being an NFL quarterback and some of the other pressures pro athletes face when the helmet is off. It's a podcast, and you can get it free on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and at kslsports.com. Well, people uh, are, are looking sometimes at the wrong medium for, for feedback. I think that there's an over-reliance, for example, on blog comments. You know, blog com- comments are just an echo chamber. You have a couple of very strong personalities that get in there, and they, uh, they dominate. We haven't figured out. Journalism hasn't figured out how to tame that and to, to make it more of a, an egalitarian or a less um, threatening place for people to go and leave their comments. I mean, I, I'm intimidated by blog comments. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Christopher Elliott. Um, if you didn't catch part one, please go back and listen to his years of experience at MSNBC and CBS and National Geographic Traveler and these days, both uh, USA Today and Washington Post and Elliot.org, his advocacy, advocacy group. Did I hit the main points there? Did I miss any good ones? No, you got them all. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of want to pick up where we were ending off in, in episode one. And, you know, this idea of as the world of journalism is changing and as you know there are people who who are seeing you know the example of somebody like you you know you look at elliot.org and it's it's a nonprofit that's that's helping people's lives with the customer service issues and the the other ways that consumers are not being protected but it is kind of a media company as well because you've created such good original content exclusive original content um, for somebody who's come to the conclusion, man, I think our brand needs to do that. We need to follow. <laughs> we need to follow that example. What is? Uh, what are some of your pieces of advice that you feel like aren't just out there on a million blogs or in a million keynote speeches about doing something like this? Oh, I don't know because I don't listen to all those keynote speeches <laughs> and uh, read all okay. the blogs. So maybe you'll you might find something really good out there. Um, I think that a lot of times people will will go about creating a media uh, enterprise and they won't they won't let it evolve organically uh, so they'll just maybe force it mm. and uh, I, and I, I've tried it both ways where I've tried to create something and uh, and you know do market research and then say okay this is the product that I think people will want uh, and and that that doesn't really work so well uh, for at least in, in my line of work um, what you want to do is Quiet down and let the readers talk to you. Um, <laughs> oh, got the, Hold uh, on, are you, are you getting arrested? Here. Oh my gosh, they're coming for me, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, yeah, that's it's, yeah, live radio, right? You, you never know what you're going to hear. Um, I, I think I think that that.
about 20 years ago, everyone wanted a quick Q&A column. And, and, and to a certain extent, this is still true, but they wanted quick Q&A columns, took a, a consumer problem and then fixed it. And th those did very well. Um, in uh, the early part of the 21st century, so about 10 years ago, we had uh, blogging. People wanted the navel-gazing. That, that tended to do very well. So you could, you could post something that was 350 words that just said, I saw a story today, and it was stupid, and I'm so much better than this. And so that's why you should be doing this blog. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And you still see people doing that today. There are some you know, very well-known loyalty program bloggers that do that, where they'll, they'll, they'll go and find something that's done in the mainstream uh, media. Uh, they'll post a hyperlink to it, and they'll tell you why it's so stupid, which is really um, unfortunate because it doesn't, it doesn't really help anyone. It doesn't, may, maybe brings in a few more clicks for that blogger, but it's not, a really, it's not adding value to the, to the media ecosystem in any way. Um, so if I had just continued doing what I was doing 20 years ago, I think that I would probably be irrelevant by now. But uh, over time, readers have told me, you know, maybe you should be uh, trying to give us more information about uh, how to prevent a problem like this or, you know, whatever. And so our, our stories have really evolved from these, these quick Q&As to much more long-form journalism. Um, and, and the subject matter has become much sharper, too. I used to go online, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I would go online and I would rant. That kind of has a limited shelf life, and it doesn't really help anyone. Now, uh, everything is very focused on a consumer problem, how to prevent it, and then we go and fix it. And it, they can run anywhere from 1,000 to 2,500 words uh, long, which is really long-form journalism. Uh, and so my, my advice just to you would be to listen to the readers. Uh, don't think that you have the solution and then just stick with it. You might have the solution now, but I guarantee you that in a couple of years' time, the readers' needs or wants will change. And if you don't keep up with that, you will be irrelevant. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up because it does make me think differently. Um, you know, I... I think about advice out there of if you're going to get serious about this in the organization and you guys are really going to bake this into your DNA and it's not just going to be like, you know, that that bolt-on uh, content marketing thing that you guys are going to start doing where you hire some like 22-year-old intern to put fluffy Facebook posts out a lot, right? Like if you're going to get serious about this. There is this advice out there, which I see the wisdom of, of have an edit editorial mission statement. Like you know, you need to rally the troops in one direction so that this isn't just like a random buffet of, of stuff, right? Like we're not putting out content to put out content. It needs to be narrowly focused on something that's going to help our ideal client. But what I don't hear much of that I feel like is, is equally as wise, um, I feel like you just brought up of like, and then be open and then be responsive. And it sounds dead obvious, but I don't know that I don't know that many of us have built in mechanisms for questioning. Was our original editorial mission statement wrong? <laughs> you know, like how many of those assumptions have not panned out? I don't think we have. I don't think a lot of my friends or clients have that scheduled in. Like, you know, we're, we're probably going to start this new investment fund. And we totally want to do this stuff, teaching regular people Warren Buffett principles so they can make their own decisions. Right. And I love I love that stuff. And I've made a lot of assumptions about how much other people will, but you know, certainly haven't been thinking about making sure to schedule the quarterly meeting to see what the responses are being. You know? Oh, absolutely. 
Well, one of the things that I do as a consumer advocate is I always try to go back to the mission statement and say, is the company following its own mission? Not editorial mission, just regular mission. And one of the things that I found is that mission statements do change. Uh, they don't change every quarter, but they, they can change year by year. You have um, additions that are made and, uh, unfortunately, sometimes subtractions. Um, the assumption that I think you should make or that, that your listeners should make is that their editorial mission statement is wrong. Um, you should assume it's already wrong. Um, it's not a question of is it wrong now, but at what point will it be wrong? Um, maybe it works for us now, but in a year or six months, it's still going to be uh, correct or relevant. And you're talking about feedback. You know, there, uh, The interesting thing is that that when it comes to content, a lot of companies think it's just a one-way uh, street where they're broadcasting content out and trying to somehow persuade uh, their customers to buy more or to do something. Do they want to? Do they want to? There's a call to action somewhere, and that's not really where the value is. Um, if you have a, uh, an email list, and by the way, I would recommend uh, getting an email list because you don't want to be dependent on uh, Facebook or Google for your audience. Um, you, you would send maybe an email newsletter out, but there's, it's so easy to, to elicit feedback from people. You could put a question into the newsletter. You could have a story that has a provocative ending with a poll. Um, there's any number of things that you can do to solicit feedback, but that's what you really want to do. You want to you start a dialogue with your customer um, and your client, and you want them to tell you what they want. And the more in sync you are with their desires, I think the more successful your editorial mission will be. <laughs> I'm just sitting here writing notes to myself. I'm just thinking, you know, we just we just put out an episode with the chairman of uh, JetBlue Airlines, you know, and uh, that's a big that's a big interview for us. We don't usually have you know guys who used to be CEOs of 14 billion dollar companies and are now chairman of the board of a different seven billion dollar company. Like that was that's definitely a, an upgrade for us, right? And I thought about I was just looking at the posts. Um, and I thought, you know, here we are announcing we've done it. But um, I just saw someone yesterday who actually knows knows Joel Peterson. And he brought up to me, hey, I saw your post on LinkedIn. I actually know him. We, we grew up in the same neighborhood as them. And uh, he wanted to, like, tell me the story about his interaction with Joel, who was a pretty inspirational guy, actually. And I thought, how easy would it be for us to put a couple questions into those posts that our episodes have come out? Hey, do you, you know, do you have any stories about Joel Peterson that we should be putting up on on our site, or, or just straight out asking who would you want to, you know who would you want to hear from next? Who should we be getting for our next guest? That would be so simple on our part. Uh, so I wrote a note saying, <laughs> "Jesse, you dummy, how come you're not doing that?" Well, you know, and and uh, you know, it would really resonate with your listeners is if they shared their JetBlue stories. Tell us about your last JetBlue flight. Uh, what do you like about JetBlue? Why are they different from other airlines? Because, you know, JetBlue is different, very different from other airlines, and they do a lot of things really well. Um, I think that people would love to share those stories with you. That's a great point. Now I do have to go back and change that post. <laughs> um, so Sorry, I didn't mean to make more work for you there. Uh, no, but but I to me it actually makes it seem like our work could actually become more rewarding by doing that. You know, like – there's so many people that pontificate. You need to have a relationship with your audience. You need to build a community. But then they fail to give specifics on what that should look like. And these are just such simple, I mean, those are such simple suggestions, but I can immediately see, I can immediately see the power of it. And I can actually see how my team would actually, we would actually like our jobs better 
because of that, you know, we all like human interaction, right? Sure, of course. Well, people uh, are, are looking sometimes at the wrong medium for, for feedback. I think that there's an over-reliance, for example, on blog comments. You know, blog com- comments are just an echo chamber. You have a couple of very strong personalities that get in there, and they, uh, they dominate. We haven't figured out. Journalism hasn't figured out how to tame that and to, to make it more, more of a, an egalitarian or a less um, threatening place for people to go and leave their comments. I mean, I, I'm intimidated by blog comments. Someone writes something about me. I'm afraid to go uh, into a blog comment, uh, into the comment section, and say, "Hey, I'm the I'm the person you're writing about. I'm not a bad guy, you know, or whatever it is that I would like to say. Or you got your facts wrong. Um, you know, that's so so. Uh, I know a lot of journalists who who so dislike comments that they've removed it from their own blog. Um, yeah, but but I, th- I think what really you good. just I think what you just suggested is such a great thing because I also don't want to like get in some public battle with some troll on our website or something, right? Um, yeah. But the no, idea no, of, like, not. inviting a personal email, hey, because I, I actually am a big JetBlue fan. You know, I'm I'm six foot two, but I've got this really short torso. I've got the legs of a guy who's, like, six foot eight or six foot nine, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. so, like, if I get on Frontier, my back touches the seat and my knees touch the seat in front of me. I have to have my knees at an angle because I don't fit in a seat, Right. I love JetBlue. Leather seats in a leather seats in a movie and leather seats in a TV and my legs fit, right? Um, asking for somebody yeah. to write me a person to write in a personal story about that, and then we get the chance to write them a personal story back instead of this like like that. How much more organic and natural like a real conversation is that than this pub- public ranting on a blog section or something like that? You know, and and then I get the chance to ask them if they want to be on our on our email list, and I've actually got a real connection with them before I've asked them that. You know, like how much more like a real relationship is that, right? Absolutely. Well, and you can now uh, automate so much of that. I mean, you you can. We, we have uh, millions of readers, uh, so I can't afford to, sure, to write. Sure. I don't have the time to write back personally to everyone. But you can once they have subscribed, you can create a, a funnel where you, you're doing some autoresponders that are very personalized and, uh, and make people feel like they are special. And um, uh, but but. Uh, I know also people who over rely on those, and and then they um, they don't respond to any of the personal emails because sometimes you will get a, uh, an email that says, "Hey Jess, I heard your podcast. I'd love to know about this." And then you send like an auto response or something like that, and you don't want to do that. But there there are yeah, it's know, definitely a balance beam, right? So many you fall off yeah, either so, side of it. But, but yeah, yeah, um, the, the personal connection is really important with readers. I, I have readers who would follow me to the ends of the earth because they feel like they've made a personal connection with me, and they have. Um, and we remember each other's birthdays. Uh, we <laughs> ask about each other's kids. It's a it's a real genuine friendship. And uh, you know, whenever I'm in town, we visit. Um, I think that that's really the deep connection that you want to to get with whether you're a journalist or whether you're running um, a company. You want to have those kinds of uh, real diehard customers. I think, you know, going back to JetBlue, JetBlue has that kind of a very loyal following because they've done right. They've got the, the seats that have a humane amount of leg room. They, uh, they feed you. They give you uh, headsets when you go on the plane. They're nice to you. And just being nice to you means so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, have you ever, have you ever flown Air Canada? <laughs> 
Uh, well, yeah, I have, uh, and and I and I got to tell you, uh, you were talking about Frontier. I don't want to badmouth any particular company, but if I had to badmouth one, boy, Frontier, I've got a lot to say about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the JetBlue of Canada is called WestJet, right? And it's just so stark when you go on a WestJet flight and they treat you like you know, it's like Southwest people making jokes or like JetBlue people that treat you with respect, and at Air Canada. You feel like you like snuck your way into like the cool kids club, except none of them want you there, <laughs> except the them is the staff, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. My one uh, redeeming I a lot quality. Of about Air Canada. I should tell one redeeming Air Canada quality story. I was late for a flight to go try and pitch this big investor in Texas, flying out of Calgary, and uh, the I, I, you know, regular procrastinating me. I got there with like I got to the front of the line with like literally. 90 seconds to get my bag on that flight you know to make the cutoff and the air canada girl looks at me and says well you bought the ticket for the right day just the wrong month (laughs) i'm just like panic stricken right and she you know she looked at me like a real life human being and within about 30 seconds said there's actually a flight on this one i just moved you you're going to texas today and i could have hugged her at that point because it was an important meeting you know so you know, there's my redeeming Air Canada story, but um, yes, yeah, that's a good one. But I want to I want to talk to you about this email thing. Um, you know, I'm looking. You know, Elliot.org on Twitter's got eighty thousand followers. On on LinkedIn, I'm seeing three hundred fifty thousand followers. Um, when you think about this idea of how LinkedIn can change the rules on you at any point, and all of a sudden you may not have access to those people, but you know, people who have become your email subscribers at Elliot.org. That's that's a relationship you actually own. Um, it sounds like it sounds like that's something you focused on, and that you have pushed to build your email list, not just relied on your three hundred fifty thousand followers at LinkedIn. Yeah, I don't even know why we did it that way. Um, LinkedIn had a, a program a few years back called the Influencer Program, where they just chose people they thought were really important and made them influencers, and they started to promote all their work. Um, and uh, they they made me one. I have no idea why, but they made me one. And so everything that I was doing got promoted heavily. If you wrote a story on LinkedIn, that would get heavy promotion. Um, but you're right. They change the rules frequently, and you just never know. Uh, uh, do I have access to them tomorrow? Uh, who knows? The thing about email newsletters is it's always felt good to me to have that direct connection and to be able to send a newsletter out. And it also is a really good way of driving traffic to a website or to um, social media. Yeah. And if you don't spam people, right? Like I think about all the hundreds of newsletters I've unsubscribed for over the years, right? Versus like Ryan Holiday and his book list or Neil Patel and his, uh, his like long form blog about actual tactics you can use to improve your business. That's like extremely thought out and he's used to build his multi-million dollar organizations, right? Those newsletters where they give instead of just try to sell me something. I mean, like I genuinely feel indebted to those two and all I am is like one more nameless subscriber on their huge list. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, also having the ability to send a reply and get an immediate reply back. Um, if, no, that's a good point. I've had I've had three personal yeah. replies from Ryan Holiday over the years, and it's like it's yeah, yeah. kind of nerdy, but I'm like I feel a little bit cooler for having had a personal reply to something. Uh, well, no, if you if you're subscribed to my newsletter, 
and you send me an email, you know, uh, try it. And just say, hey, Chris, how's it going? Where are you? That's all you have to do. I'll email you right back. I have, I love doing that. That's just, um, I love it more than being on Facebook or doing a tweet. Uh, I just, I think email is a really great medium for connecting with people. You know, it's funny because the inner investor in me is immediately going like, well, this won't scale that we, you know, you can't really do this. Like you can only do this at a small scale, but not at a big scale. Right. And what's funny is like, I had the CEO of Zoom on, you know, the, uh, the online video company Zoom, um, and their CEO had grown to like 140,000 subscribers with zero advertising by doing obsessive customer service. And he told these stories about like, over and over, like when people would quit Zoom, they would get a personal email from him saying, hey, I'm the president of the company. I'm the CEO of the company and I'm really sad you're leaving. I would, I would really love to know what we could have improved to get you, to keep you. And then people write back and they're like, ha, 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 this is a great bot. They're, you know, you know, what a disingenuous autoresponder, right? And he would immediately write back, no, this is really me. Can we hop on a Zoom call right now? I'd like to talk to you. And his just like obsessive care you know, he, he's, I, I felt like he was super obsessive about two things. One, the quality of the call. Hey, this won't break down like Skype. Hey, this won't, you won't get robot voice. Like this is going to be a better experience. And just like e- extremely unscalable personal contacts on customer service. And he was just a fanatic for it. And, you know, now they're public. I'm looking on them right now. They've got a $19 billion market cap by doing something that sound, you know, sounded to me extremely unscalable, Right. Right, and and the interesting thing is that it, it actually is scalable. It's scalable. If you're listening to this podcast right now, it's scalable. Um, I have a daily newsletter with more than twenty five thousand subscribers, and you'll get an immediate response from me if you email me from the newsletter. Um, Jeff Bezos publishes his personal email address. Actually, we publish it for him on our site. <laughs> and, and I should take a step back and say uh, one of the public services that we provide is uh, a very uh, exhaustive list of corporate CEOs and their personal contact information. It's By the way, the where, way that where is that? If I'm on Elliot.org, because I think you guys have one of the largest, if not the largest yeah. of that. If I am on Elliot.org, what tab do I go to? Is it just the company contacts? Yeah, go to company contacts. Uh, and you, you can get, or there's a little uh, search bar right there. Oh, on the right, on the left side, I think it is. Okay. Yeah, under the donate left, button. I don't remember where. It is. Yeah, I don't yeah. Have in front of me right now. I'm, I'm looking well, at my it. My point was that, yeah, Jeff actually answers his email. Really? I think it's just Jeff at Amazon.com. Yeah, he answers his email. And so you're, you're just gonna, you're never too big to do something like that. I don't think. Yeah, I'm, I just looked up Jeff Blue and the CEO Robin Hayes emails right here. That's great. Um, Listen, this has been awesome. Uh, maybe to close, I'll give you I'll give you the option of what you want to answer. Either what's a question that you don't get asked on interviews that you wish people would ask more, or what's a what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever got? You you just you decide. Oh my goodness! Okay, the first question is one that I always ask people at the end of an interview, which is you now is was there a question that you wanted me to ask that I that I didn't ask? And um, the answer that I get most often to that is no. Oh, you know, I think you hit it all. Uh, thanks a lot. Goodbye. You know? um, although the, the, some of the more prepared um, uh, subjects will have talking points that they they want. Um, so I'm tempted to just do my talking points and say, hey, go to Ellie.org if you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. No, that's please. great. Uh, um, so, so I should say definitely 
Um, and I know that we've covered this in part one of the interview, but if you have any kind of a consumer problem, anything at all, not just travel, but any problem, uh, exploding appliance, car turned out to be a lemon, and plane ticket that didn't work, whatever, you can come to Elliot Advocacy. At the, the URL is Elliot.org, E-L-L-I-O-T-T, so it's two L's and two T's, dot O-R-G. And, and I, either I or one of my volunteers would be happy to help. Uh, we, we do respond to everyone. Um, and there's also a really wonderful community there of, of people who care about good customer service. And uh, we are we've worked really hard over the years to uh, attract people to that community who are caring and helpful and kind. And it is an, it's an, a community unlike any other that you'll find online because so much of what we find online these days um, is uncivil, uh, nasty, um, filled with ad hominem attacks and vitriol. And this is very, very different. So I, I would extend an open invitation to your listeners to come check us out, uh, consider becoming part of the community, at least read some of the stories. I think you'll, you'd really enjoy them and I think they would make you a better consumer. So th- those are my closing comments. <laughs> I love it. Okay. uh, Thanks again for doing this. This has been great. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank you for inviting me. You bet. Bye, everybody.